Well, it's one of those days, cold and spitting snow. I was running late and had a busy evening full of things to do, and so I was going to stop by Chick-fil-A and uh, grab a sandwich and continue on with my busy schedule. But of course, typically at uh, Chick-fil-A, there's a long line of cars, and so I'll zip on in, jump out of my car, and run on in. So. I'm kind of fighting through the sleet and snow. And as I'm heading over to the door to go into Chick-fil-A, I pass what looked to be a young man who was kind of sitting down with his head between his knees. And I just saw him out of the corner of my eye, but enough to notice him. And you know, it's amazing how I can come up with a thousand reasons why I don't need to stop. I don't know if you're creative like that too, but I am very creative when it comes to staying with my agenda and my plan. It looked to me like a young man, maybe 20, 21, 22, and I've been around college age students for a lot of my life and given time and energy to help them. And here was a guy sitting out there and he wasn't looking up. He didn't have his hand out. He was just seated there, snow kind of coming down, sleet coming down on him with his head between his knees. And so I did what I probably normally, I hate to admit, would do is just uh, justify my busy schedule in serving God and doing things for the Lord to get in and get all those things done and move right on into Chick-fil-A to get my sandwich. But something just struck me when I did that. Years ago, I read this book. It's called In His Steps by an author named Charles Sheldon. And Charles Sheldon, uh, as he wrote this book, came up with what we now WWJD. Do you know what that stands for? What, what would Jesus do? And why in the world would I remember that now? That's what we call conviction. (laughs) That's what we call the Holy Spirit working in my heart. So I'm going in there, and, and now I've gone from, I've just justified a thousand reasons why I have every right to walk by this guy and go in, and now I'm starting to think, oh, so you're going to be warmed and filled. (laughs) And I'm already thinking about getting my Chick-fil-A sandwich and my diet lemonade and not on my plan, but uh, some fries along with that. And, And more and more, it's settling into me of this kid out there. And then I thought, well, I, I can't help him because I don't have any cash and I'm not, I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not going to give him my credit card, and I'm not, you know, I, I might give him some cash. So you know how that justification thing goes. You can, you can, I tell you, what, you can justify anything you want to do or anything you don't want to do. But finally, I thought, and it really kind of made me upset. I was almost a little angry that I that I had to respond to this uh, conviction. So I walked back outside and. And I just knelt down next to him, and I, and I asked, are you doing okay? And he said, I'm okay. And I thought, he's not okay. 
And I said, are you hungry? And he just nodded his head. I said, why don't you come on, come in and let's get something to eat. So I had just had my credit card, of course. So I go up there. I said, get what you want. So he got, he got a bunch of stuff. And we go and we sit down. And I thought I'm going to sit down with him and let him eat and talk. And as we talked, here's what I found out. His name, his name was Casey. He actually, he actually had a name. <laughs> I'm walking by a no name, not a part of my world, not a part of my plan, not part of my agenda. In fact, the way I view him and the way I see him is an interruption, an inconvenience. Even the conviction is an unwelcomed conviction. I don't want to be convicted like this. I'd rather be convicted about what I'm going to go do. And, but those words, what would Jesus do? Just went right to the depths of my heart. What would Jesus, and we all know what he would do. He wouldn't say, why don't you have a job? Or go do something else. Or, or there, there's, a, there's a home down here or a place where you can get help here or give him a business card. What would Jesus do? One thing we find about Jesus is he did not always stick to his schedule. <laughs> it, was, it was, in fact, his schedule, God's schedule. But so much of his life was responding to an inconvenience, an interruption, something that wasn't supposed to be there. So I found out Casey, 21 years old, lost his job, wasn't in a city where he knew anyone, didn't have any friends, grew up in a Christian home had put his faith and trust in Jesus as his personal savior. This is one of God's children. Went to a Christian school, attended a good church, but he sort of lost his way. Kind of got off track. And here he is on a sleeting, cold Denver night, sitting there hungry. And I thought, Lord, this is, this is someone's son. This is someone's grandson. This is someone you really love and, and you see. It wasn't just this instance, but, but so much of my life, I feel, doesn't respond the way Jesus would. I'm too busy doing unimportant things. What could be more important in all of life than valuing this kid? To me, it's incredibly convicting. And I wish I could tell you that, boy, that just turned my life around. And from that time on, I noticed everybody. <laughs> because this, what I'm telling you, I struggled with that night. I still struggle with living a life like Christ. 
What would Jesus do? We're going through a series called The Greatest Thing in the World. It's on 1 Corinthians 13, maybe the greatest passage in all of the Bible. And we've talked about how that the Apostle Paul is saying this, that it is more important than anything else in life is love. That's his declaration. And now we've moved into how he would describe it. What does real love look like? Here's our passage. Last week we talked about patience, but it begins this way. Love is patient and is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. For me, Casey was a test. It was a test of what I valued. I think for all of us, we have our tests, don't we? You could probably think back this week where your love, your genuine, authentic, Christ-like Love was tested because it is described as patient and kind. So this morning I'd like for us to look at kindness in this way. Recognizing God's kindness, receiving God's kindness personally, and then finally reflecting God's kindness to others. Let's start this way by recognizing God's kindness. God is kind. We talk about in theological or textbook terms the benevolence of God or the goodness of God. And out of the goodness of God flows his love, his patience, his kindness, and all of those things that are listed here. You know, it's easy for us to read through the Old Testament and be shocked by some of the things we read about the bloody battles and this being done and this being done and fail to see that the overriding theme of the entire Old Testament is the love of God. And it describes it this way, his loving kindness. His loving kindness. Psalm 63, and I'll just make this reference, because I have a whole list of references of where this term loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness, all through the scriptures. Psalm 63 says, your loving kindness is better than life. So David speaking to God, your loving kindness is better than life, better than life itself. We get into the New Testament, and you're going to see this in the life of Christ, where Jesus is God in flesh, the, the invisible God that we do not see now has come where we see him, and we watch his behavior, and we see that the, the dominant characteristic of his life is loving kindness. This is the way Jesus functions. So looking at the word, and you know I'll do this periodically, is maybe stop, look at the word, 
What, is, what does the word mean? How do we define this word? Of course, written in the Greek New Testament. Uh, it doesn't mean a lot to us, but um, the word krestutai, krestutai, and I know you're not going to write that down and memorize it, but, but follow me on this, and I'm going to speak more to it later. Sound, krestu sounds like Christian, and we have a lot of words that are transliterated in the scriptures. But I'm going to come back to that at the end of the message because it's significant, this definition. So we've, we've talked about, and, I, and I'm going to kind of describe what this kindness looks like. So far we've talked about patience and kindness. And, and I said, you know, when I, I get to the first one, love is patient. I'm done. <laughs> so, and if you get past patience, you come to kindness, you're done. But patience and kindness, to me, are pretty amazing because they're two sides of the same coin. Patience, we talked about this, is, is having the, it's expressed in this way that we suffer long. It has this idea of wrath and anger that we have this endurance. We suffer long. And it's hard to be patient. Patient with people. Patient with circumstances. And I think it leads the way in this list because it, it is, in a sense, a foundation for all of the other characteristics of what love looks like. Love looks this way. It, first and foremost, it is patient. But right on the heels, it says, and kind. Patient and kind. It's like you flip the coin and you see the other side of this. And, and I believe that all the rest of what we'll talk about, and we'll speed this up instead of taking just one a week, because I always say, we're going to be in First Corinthians for a long time. So we'll speed this up. But I want you to see that patience and kindness are the foundation for everything else that we show in the love of God to others. So patience is enduring, kindness is acting. Patience is something that I, I hold up under and I resist the urge to blow up, to, to say something, to react. It is, it is this endurance, but kindness is when you go do something. You do something about it. So what does kindness look like? How does it function? And what I'd like to point to are the encounters that people have with Christ in the New Testament. This is in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have many stories of encounters with Christ. So Christ puts skin on the face of God. We, we see him here in Scripture. We read about his life. We read about what he says and what he does. And he expresses the love of God. Jesus Christ perfectly and fully expresses the love of God. We've talked many times about how when he came to this earth and died on a cross for our sins, he died for your sins, died for my sins, died for all of our sins, and then he offers to us the gift of eternal life. And if we receive it by faith, we become God's children. That's how we, you hear the word saved or born again. People use a lot of different terms, but it's a free gift of God. It's His grace offered to us. So the greatest expression of the love of God is through what Jesus Christ 
did on the cross. That's kind of like the high water mark. It's like the apex of all of Scripture. If we were to take from Genesis to Revelation, the, the most exciting focal point is what happened when Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose again, offered to us eternal life. Okay, that, that whole series we call the Gospel. However, I want to focus on just how he lived. For three and a half years, he had ministry. I mean, we, we don't know a lot about his life before age 30, but when he hit 30, um, he is actively moving about and we're reading about what he did and said and what he looked at, his comments and so forth. So I would like to look at this and I would call these encounters with Christ anthropomorphic. So we, we have a man, uh, like the, 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 our eyes, our ears, our body, he's expressing through a physical being for us to understand, which I think it's, it's beautiful how God has put flesh on what he's talking about. So let me, and I wrote down 10 of these, and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but what, what does the body of Christ, the, the physical being of Christ, show us about kindness? Number one, kindness has eyes that see and value. Kindness has eyes that see and value. You'll notice this all through the Gospels, that, that Jesus would see people that no one else saw. Everybody else is walking right by them. He sees them. He sees, it says, he, he looked at them or he got eye contact with them. We tend to think in terms of the crowd. You know, we've got a crowd. We've got people out here. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus can see the person and value the person. So kindness has eyes. Secondly, kindness has ears that hear the cries of the hurting the needy, the weary, the discouraged, any faint moan or cry, Jesus was alert to. He had ears that would hear. He would often preach sermons to those that had ears and didn't hear. You guys have ears, you're not hearing. Jesus could hear. Kindness has a mind of knowing and understanding. Author William Watkins said, love requires study, the work of the mind. We cannot love what we do not know. And so the ability of the mind that is here to understand, to, to know the circumstances. Of course, Jesus is supernatural. You and I are not supernatural. When I'm walking by Casey, all I can do is imagine. But you know what? As, as we sat down and talked that evening, I'm finding out that he has a story. He has a mom, he has a dad, he has grandparents, he has friends, he has a, he has a whole story. And, and Jesus noted for his questions. <laughs> Remember how we talked about almost every time someone asked Jesus a question, he'd answer, he'd answer it by another question. He asked questions, not because he needed to know he wanted his disciples to know what was happening and that person to process. So kindness has a mind. Kindness has a heart. Kindness has a heart that genuinely cares for that person and easily forgives. 
You notice how easily Jesus forgives? We're not so good at that. We'll say, you know, I'm not ready to forgive. Jesus was so quick to forgive. This is the kind of heart he has. A genuine concern and a care. Kindness has a heart. Kindness has a face. We've called this a yes face. It is a face that affirms. It is a face that welcomes. It is a face that is a friendly face. It is accepting of a person. Did you know that your face communicates a lot? Kindness? A kind face? Do you believe Jesus had a kind face? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Everything about his life is kind. And it's almost like you're drawn, you're drawn to him. Kindness has feet that are coming to help. Jesus was never in a hurry. You notice that? You don't ever see him running. I don't read about Jesus ran. But he's always on the move. And he's, he's always moving toward people to help them. People are in a panic. They think everything is going to be late. But kindness is shown in his feet, not coming to give advice, not coming to give correction, coming to help. Coming to help. Kindness has a mouth, speaking soothing words. In fact, this, this word that we talked about Crestutai uh, means of, of soothing, smooth words. Not in the sense of uh, a smooth salesman, but words that just calm, words that, that comfort, words that encourage, words that settle. The words, when he speaks, he speaks with kindness. You remember reading in, in Proverbs 31, and it talks about the virtuous woman, out of, out of her mouth is the law of kindness. She speaks the words of kindness. Kindness in his hands, he's reaching out. I liken to the modern day, some, some modern day evangelists. <laughs> if they were standing behind this pulpit, it'd be like this. In fact, I've, I've listened to a lot of sermons <laughs> like this. Remember a guy telling me one time, just remember you've got four other fingers pointing back at yourself. But this isn't the way Jesus, his hands, you don't picture his hands like this. You picture his hands like this. Don't you? You think, you think of Christ, you think of the Lord, his hands are there for helping. Kindness in his arms. He talks about reaching around the children and pulling them up and holding them and touching the children. He's holding them. And then finally, kindness on his shoulders. They carry you when you can't go on and when you have no more strength to go. I think this, that you read through the Gospels uh, and you see patience and kindness in the flesh. Which is a bit amazing <laughs> when you think that if anybody should be impatient, he should be. He's, Why don't you people get your act together? <laughs> you know, of all that I've done, he could be really impatient and really unkind, just telling everybody what they, just do what I told you to do. 
but kindness is the mark of his life. B.B. Warfield, one of my favorite theologians of the 19th century, said this. He said of Jesus, his whole life was a mission of mercy. His whole life is a mission of mercy. You know, and I, and I thought this, if I were to go back and, and, and think back to this with Casey, I'm thinking, I'm doing, I'm on a mission. You know, that evening, I'm on a mission. I'm, I'm going here, I'm doing this, but I'm not on a mission of mercy. So who did Jesus particularly go after? Who did he pursue? You know, I, I think it's so different than us today. We, we would pursue the popular, the rich and the famous, those that are influential, those that can do us some good. What kinds of relationships do you like to build? Usually there's some mutual benefit, the relationships we like to build. But Jesus pursued relationships where they could give him nothing back of value. That's pretty amazing. The poor, he went to them. Those that were sick, weary, lame, lepers, blind, deaf, thieves, murderers, demon-possessed, prostitutes, lepers, social outcasts, orphans, widows, the lonely, the hurting, those without hope, and those without help. These are the ones he would be drawn to. Where everybody else, including his disciples, are drawn to the other kind of people that have some status, have some ability, have something to give, have something to offer, can make things go big. <laughs> no, he's looking for those that are seated down with their head between their legs and they've just given up. Now, is Jesus this way with everyone? No. Because this is one of the questions that I come into my mind, too, because you see there are a few times in the Scripture Jesus is upset. He's angry. We call this the wrath of God. Because God is a holy God, and he is a just God. And I want you to see that the wrath of God is not on the far end of God's character. It, it is in concert with his love. If God loves these little children, he's going to have anger against anything that's going to hurt them. Does that make sense? So the list that I gave you of all these marginalized people when someone, like the Pharisees, will make life hard on them. Like, where's your tithe? Why weren't you at the temple last week? You're not keeping the Sabbath. And he said, you're putting burdens on them that they cannot bear. And he, he went into the temple, and he was turning over tables. Jesus was not a wimp. He was flipping over tables, driving them out because they were, they were getting in the way of mercy. He came to show kindness and mercy, loving kindness. And so he wants us to follow him. And, and the whole of our existence on this earth, the followers of Jesus were to be mercy givers, kindness showing people. 
And when someone stood to block that, that's when his wrath came. But when they were repentant, he was quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. So we recognize the loving kindness of God expressed in Christ and these ways, all these ways that we see that expressed in him. But the next point I want to go to is how do we receive his kindness? Because I think that it is so important not for us just to recognize that that's the way God is through all of Scripture, all of Scripture, loving kindness. It's the way Christ is. But how do we receive the loving kindness? Well, we mentioned all these people, the social outcasts, the orphans, the widows, the lonely, the hurting, those without hope, and us, and us. So let me just read out of Titus 3 and verse 3. This is, this is really, it shows you what Christ's kindness has done for you and for me. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to the many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. That's this world. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love to us, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Now, when I read that first part, it described me, <laughs> you, foolish, disobedient, misled, slaves to lust and pleasures, full of envy, and we hated each other. That's, that's where we are without God. That's what he came to rescue. And then it says, but when God, our Savior, this is, this is another text that shows that Christ is God. He says, God, our Savior, revealed his kindness to us. He revealed it. And he offers to us eternal life, not because of what we have done, but by his mercy. Now, listen, this is, that was Titus 2 or Titus 3. Listen to Ephesians 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. That's you, that's me. Once we're dead. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature... We were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else, because we were blocking the way. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. That's, I mean, how do, you, how do you express God's kindness better than that? Romans 5.8 is, is a shorter verse and probably easier to memorize. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
What an amazing, amazing thought. I came upon this verse once again in Matthew 11. Um, just shows the heart of what Jesus said. You know, I, I'll often describe in the Christian, this is, this is relationship with God. Three commands that Jesus gives. First one, come to me. That's it. Come to me. Number two, be with me. Be with me. In other words, he wants relationship. And number three, go and I will be with you. So you say, go where? Well, you go fulfill his purpose for your, for your life, but he's going to be with He will be with you and will never leave you. So number one, come to me. And this is, this is the picture we have, the face, the eyes, the ears, the words, soothing words, the hands, the arms. Come to me. Come to me. The kindness of Jesus and be with me. I want you to come to know me. Now this verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to, to 30, really describes this in a powerful way. Jesus said, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. In other words, for those of you that are worn out, you're tired, you're loaded down, you're ready to break. <clears throat> for those of you that are struggling, come to me, come to me. Just come to me. I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now the rest of that is a little bit hard to understand when you talk about Put on a yoke with me. A yoke in that day and time was, you know, put over two oxen. So you'd have a yoke here and they would pull together. And no one likes a yoke. Um, but when you're yoked with Jesus, it's like as one, one author said this uh, in his book, uh, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly. I love this picture. He said, if you're out, fell off a ship, you're drowning in the water, you can't keep your head above water <clears throat> and someone throws you a life jacket, it's like a yoke. <laughs> so I'm not gonna, I don't need any help. Or you might say, I'm not gonna put that thing around my neck. I'm not gonna tie that around my neck. But he says, my yoke is easy <laughs> and my burden is light. The mercy of Christ, the kindness of Christ is throwing you a life jacket. It's not gonna do anything but keep your head above water. And when you're yoked with him, the idea of being yoked with him, you're yoked into his strength and his love and his kindness in that relationship. To me, it's an, an amazing picture, the life jacket. So let's, let's move on to the last part of this. We, we recognize God's kindness. We receive God's kindness. And then finally, we reflect God's kindness. How do I provide a picture of what God is like. And I'll tell you what, it's pretty amazing. It's not the, the easy stuff like give 10% of your money or be in church every Sunday or follow the Ten Commandments. It, it, it's not that. How do I represent God? How do I, 
How do I live like Christ? It's not about rule keeping. It's about loving this way. With patience and kindness. What, folks, and I, and I want you to listen carefully to this because I, th- I feel we live in a day and time there's so much social up- upheaval. What this world needs are Christians who love. Christians who are patient and kind like this. It does, this world does not need, even though these are maybe helpful, it does not need political reform. It does not need moral revolution, does not need better education or religion. It doesn't need medical breakthroughs, the elimination of poverty and crime, or the end of all wars. Because all those things are temporal fixes. And they really don't, at the end, get you to Christ, who is the great rescuer. He resolves all of those things. Because when we get to heaven, the sickness, the disease, the politics, all of that stuff gets resolved. But the answer is Jesus. We need to be rescued by the love of God. His arms are open. His kindness is expressed. And the only way the world will ever see is through us. I want you to think about this. Do you believe God's here? Anybody see him? Do you believe Christ is present with us here today? I mean, the Bible, I can show you, the Bible says he is. Holy Spirit present with us here today. But none of us see them. The only thing the world sees is you. The only way they'll ever get an idea of what God looks like. Remember I talked about all the attributes of Christ, his eyes, his ears. The only way that they're going to understand what it looks like is you. Patience and kindness. Expressing the love of God. We can only give what we've received. Matthew 10, 8, I love this verse. Freely you have received, freely give. Did we receive salvation freely? Yes. The gift of eternal life, the gift of his spirit, the gift of life. He says here, freely you have received. Thank you, God. Freely give. That's how it works. And if you have not received, you have nothing to give. You have nothing to give. It's only when you've freely received what he's given and offered to you that you're able to give. It can only happen when we are filled with gratitude for his loving kindness expressed to us. Then we can overflow in the same manner. You have may, may have heard of the author, Max Lucado. He's, he's, he's a very eloquent writer. He has this quote. Let me just read this. He said, a marriage saving love, a marriage saving love is not within us. A friendship preserving devotion cannot be found in our hearts. We need help from an outside source. <laughs> None of us have it in us to make a good marriage or to have a good friendship. We need an outside source. Lucado goes on to say, 
that instructing Christians to follow the kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13 to be patient and kind and forgiving is like telling them to write a check without making a deposit into their account. <laughs> it's going to bounce. But when your account has been filled with that kind of love, checks can be written all day long. It is what makes, and I argue this constantly, it is what makes Christianity, true Christianity, unique. This is how we're different. Okay, we have to remember that. This is how we're different. So go, I'm going to go back to the word, crestuitai, which I won't remember this one either, by the way. So I'll have that in my notes someplace. I have to look it up again. Crestuitai, Christian sounds like Christian. The Roman people would actually call these believers Christians, Cre not Christian, Christian, because they're so kind. But I, never, I never knew that before. But I think, isn't that amazing that what, what they see is happening is these people, all of them are showing kindness Linda Pugh in her upcoming book writes this, Christians transformed the Roman Empire. And we know this is true. The Christians transformed the Roman Empire. Not by demanding, but by loving. Not by angrily shouting about their rights in the public square, but by serving even the people who persecuted them, which is why Christianity grew so quickly and took over the empire. She goes on to say, I also know that once Christians gained political power under Constantine, this was A.D. 300. You've heard me speak about this. When churches started getting big buildings and all the gold and the glitter and the pomp and the circumstance, when Christian became the legalized religion of the Roman Empire, she said that beautiful, loving, sacrificing, giving, transforming church became the angry, persecuting killing church. Folks, we can't let that happen to us again. We can be with our pointing fingers, angry about all these things, and not reflecting the love of Christ. Ephesians 4.32, instead, we're in contrast. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's all the motivation we need to be kind. As I said, it doesn't mean that you don't have anger against sinful things. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not discerning about certain things. But it is our way, the way of kindness. You know, I, I had a test in my life with Casey. We have those tests all the time, don't we? How do we respond? So here's my takeaway from our message today. Forget yourself and go make someone's day. Show them kindness. Forget yourself, which is hard to do, and go make someone's day. Show them kindness. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
so much for expressing all through human history your kindness, your loving kindness. Most of all in the life of Christ and how he modeled that on earth. May we adopt that as the way we live. May we forget our selfish desires and ambitions and realize you're doing bigger things. And may we show kindness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been so good. Every week, I can't wait to hear the next one. But I'm also scared to hear the next one. Because Matt said, when he's like, love is patient, I'm like, oh, great, here we go. So I needed this. I hope it was good for you. Would you stand with us? We'll, uh, hey, Matt, we'll, uh, I loved those 10 that he had, those God sees, God hears. We'll put that on our Facebook page later today. And uh, you can write those down again of how we reflect God's love, what it looks like. Thanks for being with us today. Have, be blessed. You're dismissed. As morning dawns and